Welcome to Old Books with Grace. I'm so excited. This is the first week of our Persuasion podcast, Old Books, Old Summer Book Club. And today I have my really good friend, Dr. Jessica Ward on with us. Um, Welcome, Jessica. I'm so excited you're here. I'm Um, so excited to be here. (laughs) Yay. So I um, am super excited that we're talking about chapters one through three today of volume one. Well, some of your editions have volumes. Some of them don't. Just depends on what you have. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Jessica She grew up in Texas. She's actually there right now, graciously filming from her vacation with family. She got her doctorate in English from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And she specialized in medieval literature like me. And that's actually how we met. We met while she took a class with my advisor, who later became one of her advisors. So we shared a very similar committee And um, we both work on intersections of theology and ethics in medieval poetry. And she actually is working on a book about avarice in late medieval poetry and theology. And it's very cool. And I would know because we've been in a writing group together for about seven years. Is that right? I was trying to try. Yeah, seven years. And so we've read a lot of each other's writing, and she is um, a generous and faithful friend in her writing and feedback and in just living life. And she's also a gifted teacher and a really brilliant scholar. She's now the um, assistant professor of early British literature at Mercy College in New York City. And Jessica's married to George. She's a dog mom to two adorable Shih Tzus who sometimes join us on the Zoom writing groups, which is always very exciting. So (laughs) Jessica's here. Yay. Yay. (laughs) I'm so excited to be here with you, Grace. Uh, I'm a big fan of old books with Grace. So this is such a treat. I'm glad to be your first guest appearing uh, to talk about persuasion. Yay. So with each guest, I'm going to do a few um, little get-to-know-you questions so that everybody can kind of get a small glimpse of Jessica or whoever's here with us. And so the first question for you is, what is your favorite author or your favorite book from more than 50 years ago? Which is a hard question for you as a medievalist, I know. Yeah, it's really hard. Um, I'm a big fan of Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. I read that and fell in love with literature. And I just think it's a thick book, but it's such a soul-searching book with a lot Mm -hmm. of theological questions embedded in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I read it well before I knew I was a medievalist. So I think that, you know, maybe it kind of pushed me in that direction Mm -hmm. subtly does it in a really interesting way. So I'd say that's probably my favorite book or novel. Also, Charlotte Bronte's Villette is uh, one of my favorites as well. I really like um, the narration style in that. And yeah, I would say those are probably two. And then I'm a big fan of a lot of medieval texts. William Langland's Curse Plowman is one that I can't stop returning 
to Obsessed. again and again and thinking about. So that's high. I know I'm like, this is way more than one. A lot of okay. Shakespeare's plays. Um, probably The Tempest is my favorite. Teach that a lot. But yeah, I, w- I think that's probably enough. <laughs> delightful. All delightful, but- except I have to confess, I have not read Villette. And uh, I so know fun. that's a travesty and I need to fix that. So yes, I think, yeah, I, I think you'd love it. It's, okay. Yeah. Has all sorts of fun stuff in it. <laughs> all right. Okay. Question number two, which literary character do you most identify with and why? This is such a challenging question because until you asked it to me, Grace, I didn't think it would be a hard question (laughs) but I'm worried about myself now and my personality that I don't know if I identify with anyone but any one like literary character I feel Mm -hmm. like you know what I love about literature is that I get into the brains and minds of so many diverse characters who have different experiences I think that I'd love to say Minerva McGonagall from Harry Potter I think she's such a good teacher. And oh, really I would so want to be Minerva McGonagall. Yeah. She just seems so, you know, amazing. She can transform or transfiguration. Um, so yeah, I think she's she's great. Um I'm trying to think of who else. I just sometimes I'm like Bilbo who loves to go on adventures. <laughs> Wait, I thought he like hated going on adventures or I guess love hates, right? (laughs) Love hate. And I think that's me too. Like it's like, that is you. I can see that. Yes. And once I'm out, I'm like, love it. You know, Um, (laughs) like complaining about like leaving the dishes in the sink and stuff, but then having a great time when you're out and about. (laughs) Yes. And then kind of like wanting to go back home after, you Mm -hmm. know, a long adventure. I, Uh I relate to that. So yeah, I guess. I like that one those but yeah that's such a tough question and I'm so eager to hear how other people rest- I like want to ask you like can I ask you sure you can yeah. ask me I'm not prepared um okay okay let me think about this for a second okay so here's a funny story this doesn't really answer the question but I used to think that I was like Elizabeth Bennett from Pride and Prejudice like I I so related to her I was like yeah. oh my gosh I just am obsessed with her. Like, she's amazing. She, like, her wit and her, like, difference from other people. And I don't know. I just had this, like, thing. She was so smart. And, uh, but then I realized that I really wasn't, like, enough of, like, a people person to be Elizabeth Bennett. Like, (laughs) I, um... I'm not as like witty at parties and stuff as she is. Oh, I don't know. What I realized is that actually Scott is Elizabeth Bennett and I'm much more like Mr. Darcy. That's um, amazing. I love that. I'm a little taciturn and, <laughs> and a little reserved, but then like really great once you get to know me. So, That's so Scott, amazing. I met my Elizabeth Bennett and married him, but. I yeah. love that. I'm <laughs> And ENFJ Myers Briggs and Elizabeth Bennett is one of the characters. Like the, it's like famous people, and they also uh-huh. do literary characters. Uh-huh. Um, and she's an ENFJ, so I guess uh-huh. that's why we get on. Because like, yes. 
I'm an INFJ, which definitely inclines me more towards the Darcy end of things. I love that. Yeah. But we got on. It's a very close combo. It is very combo. Yes, definitely. (laughs) I love that. Awesome. (laughs) Um, Okay, so when was the first time you read a Jane Austen novel? And what did you think of it? Yeah, so I read a Jane Austen novel in high school, late in high school, and I loved it. I love romance. No, it's Pride and Prejudice. Um, saw the movie with Kira Knightley. Of course. Because um, we were really like juniors in high school when that came out. Must have been. Yeah, mm-hmm. somewhere on that time frame. Yeah, I think and it was 2005. Yes. So around then. And then, um, I ended up tutoring someone in English when I was in college, a high schooler Uh who was reading Pride and Prejudice. And I like really dove into it to kind of help him analyze it. And I just remember, you know, that first line of like (laughs) woman wanting a husband, you know, (laughs) I need that line. Um, which by the way, Note that to return to later, because I think that Jane Austen is referring to herself uh, in this first chapter when she has a little quip about Sir Walter. So uh, we'll return to that. (laughs) We'll love that. But that just like resonated in my mind from like that time on. And I didn't go back to Austen for a long time after that. But I would definitely say, yeah, Pride and Prejudice was the first one and then read some of her other texts and just kind of gobbled them up a long time ago. But I must admit, this has been the first occasion for me to return because I don't ever teach novels. Ah. Like I just, I do all the early stuff. Um, So we don't get quite to the novel Mm -hmm. in the survey that I teach. And so, yeah, this was a real treat kind of going back. And I just read Pride and Prejudice over the Christmas break. So I feel like I'm kind of you know, putting these two texts in conversation. So I'm glad that you... um, And I think they're meant to be in conversation with each other. I really do. I feel like she's on this really interesting trajectory and we can talk more about that. But yeah, yeah, I love that you are doing that. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for answering my questions. And should we get into the book? Let's do it. Yeah. Yay. What edition are you using, by the way? I'm using the Norton Persuasion. Cool. And I am using this super crazy Penguin Classics edition that has this very dramatic cover. I really love that. My cover, kids always actually. ask about it. They're like, what's <laughs> going on? I'm like, she's been persuaded and she's like yes. trapped. Is it a snake? It's like a, it's like a thorn. Oh, it's a thorn. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Huh. Yeah. Wow. All yeah. Right. And then the back is like more thorns. So oh, I love that. So yeah. that huh. super interesting. Very interesting. evocative. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, mine is just the sea, you know, the naval kind of like right. <laughs> right. The navy, the well, savior of all. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what would you where should we begin? Should we just begin with the beginning? I think we should, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that beginning is so funny. It's the best. <laughs> I I really love it. And I love how long her sentences are. I always like, it's something that gets me because I'm like, oh, look at that. It used to be a thing you could do. Um, read the first um, sentence because it's so long. And just yes. for anybody who uh, needs a little, doesn't have their copy of Persuasion in front of them and needs a little refresh, um, it's very rewarding. 
Sir Walter Elliot of Kellynch Hall in Somersetshire was a man who, for his own amusement, never took up any book but the Baronetage. By the way, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Do you think so? I, I think so. I think so. I've never heard it actually said out loud. I've only read it on a page. <laughs> no, I think that's perfect. We'll go with it. <laughs> All right, good. There he found occupation for an idle hour and consolation in a distressed one. There his faculties were roused into admiration and respect by contemplating the limited remnant of the earliest patents. There any unwelcome sensations arising from domestic affairs changed naturally into pity and contempt. (laughs) (laughs) My gosh, it's like he's Uh reading the Bible or something. I love it. And I love how she like digs at him at first. She's like, he's not a reader except for this, this like non-book that's like yeah. really bougie. Yeah. Um, so the Baronetage and- is, uh, it's like a collection of like lists of families, like lists of um, no- nobility and gentry of the era. And they're like family histories and they're like family crests. And yeah. so... Yeah, it's not really like a book, like it's not like a literary work and it's not even really a history book. It's like a very specific artifact. Yeah, it's like almost like a registry, right? Where like mm-hmm. it's their name and then like she even typesets it here, or at least this page does to kind of like a little bit further down. Um, like not much further down. Yeah, exactly. Um, where it's like, you see the entry that he amends, right? He's like so self-absorbed. Um, so self-absorbed. Because he could read his own history with an interest which never fails. <laughs> um, it's so funny. It's, his whole identity is wrapped up in this book. Um, and yeah, his social standing which is, yeah, a very different opening, as you're saying, Grace, um, than that of Pride and Prejudice. Yes. Which opens in a very different manner. Yes. With very different sorts of folk. <laughs> so what I was thinking about when you mentioned the beginning of Pride and Prejudice and mentioned that really famous quote is actually on the next, um, yeah. in the, it's in this chapter, but it's like a couple pages in. Yeah. And it's when... Um, when Jane Austen is introducing Lady Russell yes. and saying like, well, we don't need to explain why she's still single, which is yes. definitely like a little barb with like, yeah. why would an independent woman choose to remarry when she can like yes. control her own fortune and can live right. independently. But yeah. um, so it's that Miss, that Lady Russell um, should have no thought of a second marriage needs no apology to the public which is rather apt to be unreasonably discontented when a woman does marry again than when she does not. But Sir Walter's continuing in singleness requires explanation. Um, And I always thought, I mean, when I was rereading this, I thought it's um, the single man in want of a wife, but like, not like he's, he's so vain. Like he's so, Um, self-absorbed that he's not one of those um, men in possession of a good fortune who's like looking to create like a stable position you know which is really a severe criticism from Jane Austen yeah 
No, and it's so interesting too because it brings up the whole dynamic of of gender and like yeah. if she did marry, like there is that whole like does or does not marry right before that with Lady Russell, um, as you're saying, Grace. Like why you know Jane Austen's kind of like well if she did remarry that would be a thing, but if she doesn't, it's not really a thing. Yes, and then yeah, it goes to him, and of course, then you get introduced to his daughters and Elizabeth yes. who who is just like him and he's so navel gazy that <laughs> you know that's about all he needs you um, know it's so sad but also so funny uh, so this this one critic named tony tanner that i was rereading in order to do this and he talks about how yeah. everywhere sir walter is it's just always mirrors like everything he does is like yeah. mirrors to look back at himself yeah. and so like elizabeth he only likes her because she's like a mirror to him yeah. she's handsome yeah. she's yeah. like <laughs> even for her age right like that's so <laughs> funny that like he notices what is it in this chapter like or the next one where like um lady russell's eye wrinkles yeah her crow's feet were increasing at an alarming rate he's very upset by that um and poor Anne also like she's out of her um the height of her looks or so they say and yeah but Elizabeth has kind of stayed at a certain level (laughs) preserved as you say handsome yeah so he's you know I guess okay with that Yes. Yeah. And, and so has he, I guess, right? Because she comments on his looks as well yes. quite often. Well, there's that, that like really funny little bit from Mrs. Clay where yeah. um <laughs> when when Sir Walter <clears throat> is complaining about the Navy and how like their yes. work is shown in their faces, you know, and Mrs. Clay is yes. like, Well, not all of us have the blessing to stay at home doing whatever we want. Like you, Sir Walter, you're so handsome because you're able to like just do whatever you please, you know. Yes, and it cuts up the man's youth and vigor most horribly. Yes, I love that whole thing. I think that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yes, his um, critiques of that. Oh, this is too funny. Yeah. No, um, yes, and I just have to read, like, just to talk about Sir Walter one more time. It's just too good, this this sentence that is... Vanity was the beginning and end of Sir Walter <laughs> Elliot's character. Vanity of person and of situation. Uh, and, and then so on, so on, so on. And he considered the blessing of beauty as inferior only to the blessing of a baronetcy. And the Sir Walter Elliot, who united these gifts, was the constant object of his warmest respect and devotion. That's too funny. <laughs> oh my goodness yeah it's pretty damning I think from Jane Austen and there's no question as to his character and how he will um act in society and and he's so enabled I guess we can talk about that as um if that's okay Grace as we like get into the next chapters where they talk about what in here the retrenching retrenching (laughs) how like he's really enabled by like lady russell and his friend like this is yes and how like that in itself so um yeah let's go to that section okay and then we have to talk about anne because she's introduced so weirdly but let's let's well do you want to talk about yeah let's talk about anne okay let's do that yeah Yeah. let's finish the character introductions good idea yeah 
fine. <laughs> so, um, and then we do need to go to the retrenching because it's pretty absurd. So we have first Sir Walter and have this really lovely mirror effect of just Sir Walter, Sir Walter, Sir Walter. Like you're in a room with all these mirrors and all you see are Sir Walters. And then poor Lady Elliot who died no more. And then Lady Russell who is um, a friend, but we just meet her. And then we have Elizabeth, very handsome and very like himself another mirror and then poor mary who's horrible which who we will meet but not here she had um acquired a little artificial importance by becoming mrs charles musgrove ouch of course that's through sir Sir walter's mind but um this idea is a real bummer well and that like it reminds me a little bit of Pride and Prejudice in that um, she writes here, his two other children, just above where you just read, Grace, were a very inferior value. Yes. It's almost monetizing, like, mm. value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he's so concerned about money and status. Yeah. And that... And particularly the, the look. The look, like, what's valuable is the appearance of things. Absolutely. So Mary is only valuable because he was able to write her name of being married yes. to Charles into the yes. baronetage. Anne is a nobody. And that word, right. we have to pay attention to that right. word. That's an extremely important word where um, she's a nobody. Um, and again, we have character too, where she has this we get a little glimpse of Jane speaking or the narrator speaking instead of Sir Walter, um, where she has an elegance of mind and sweetness of character, which would have placed her in high value with um, any people of real understanding, but to Elizabeth and Sir Walter, she's nobody. Yeah. And there's, that's such a huge divide between these characters from the onset that kind of sets us up for the later occurrences and people we meet and what we find was done to her yes and really um her this phrase her word has had no weight is a really big um so speaking and communication is such a big theme in this novel and that she's a nobody like her words are like nothing they are ghostly they just disappear into thin air almost when she's with them um, because of the way that they've put value on other things. I think Jane Austen is super interested in that. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And that even though I think here in this early chapter, we see that Lady Russell understands Anne for what she is, right? mm -hmm. She's her favorite. And yet we find... And we find more about Lady Russell and her characterization in these first three chapters as well. And that she's an enabler. She's putting a bit too much cachet, you know, and that must have been, I mean, that still happens in our society, but certainly over in England, um, old money, you know, versus nouveau riche, like this still modern in a lot of ways. And, um, 
it's just really interesting to get a critique of it through, as you were saying, Grace, like the way that she introduces these characters just already. Yes. And I mean, I think what's really interesting is that Lady Russell is like a member of the old guard, basically. Like she, um, she would have been a very sympathetic character in like Pride and Prejudice. And it's not that we don't like her in this book, but her judgment isn't accurate as we will discover as we go along. So in chapter two, when you're, when we're meeting Lady Russell in more detail, um, for me, it's the first page of chapter two. Yeah. Where it talks about all these great qualities that she has, but then, um, then Austin writes, she had a cultivated mind and was generally speaking rational and consistent. And then there's this dash, but she had prejudices on the side of ancestry. She had a value for rank and consequence, which blinded her a little to the faults of those who possessed them. And so it's, um, it's not that Jane Austen was always just like, yay, the gentry is perfect or the nobility yeah. is perfect, but um, that she's like really seeing a flaw within the system of how people mm-hmm. see each other and really like drawing that out here instead of just, you know, um, sort of like making fun of it. Well, it's there, but you know, yeah. like it's so great that Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy get to get married, which right. not slamming Pride and Prejudice because I love no. it. <laughs> But it's a very different feel to, like, representations of society, you know? Absolutely. It's kind of like the Disney version of the story where it's, like, you know, from rags to riches is Elizabeth's story in a sense. Um, She's not really rags, but, you know, in a sense that she's marrying a quote-unquote prince, like this very wealthy, you know? Yes, yes. And who has this huge castle estate, right, you know? And really, but here it's a very different romance, a very different circumstances. Yes. And And, rank now is like being called into serious question. Like before it it was a joke. It was still a joke. Like, you know, like you have Lady Catherine de Bourgh in Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) Like what's that famous line? Oh my gosh. Uh, the, about polluting the woods of Pemberley, like yes, such connection. Yes. Dang it. I, I used to be able to quote it, but I can't yeah. right now. <laughs> um, but anyways, it's like now we have this like um, woman who is way kinder, way more yeah. um, generous, but Jane Austen's really underlining that like this lack of self-awareness and rank are like actually tied together. And it's not just like Lady Catherine, you know? Right. Absolutely. And it's even people who don't share Lady Catherine's like rank, right? Because she's, you know, in that society, that like high echelon. But here we find that, you know, Lady Russell, her father was a knight. So he wasn't like, you know, officially of that ancestral inheritance. Um, and so she's giving, you know, so just a little bit below where you read, you know, herself, the widow, okay, so the widow of only a knight, yeah. she gave the dignity of a baronet all its due. And so, yeah. you know, she's just going to completely indulge him. Yes. And yeah. Yes. And then, um, <laughs> 
the retrenching. Yes. Is at the end of the previous chapter. Um, oh, it's, it's so I mean, funny. It's throughout the chapters, but this, uh, I couldn't help but laugh at what Elizabeth does. Um, <laughs> and Jane Austen says, Elizabeth, to do her justice. But then what she proceeds to write is so like, so anyways, um, she had proposed these two branches of economy to cut off some unnecessary charities. So all, do, all good doing and, you know, all that, that can go first. Um, and yep. to refrain from new furnishing the drawing room. So those were her suggestions to a lot of sacrifice, allowing them to spend less. Um, yeah. So, but she did, uh, they both feel very ill-used and unfortunate that they have spent too much money to maintain their extravagant lifestyle. And I love that it talks too about, you know, when the, she um, is introducing Elizabeth as well in still the first chapter, um, then she might again take up the book of books. So it's referred to <laughs> as the book of books, which I really like, love that. Yeah. Um, with as much enjoyment as in her early youth, but now she liked it not because she's seeing her birth date. <laughs> this is so funny because it's true. Like she's seeing um, always to be presented with her d- the date of her own birth and see no marriage follow, but that of a younger sister, a youngest <laughs> sister made the book an evil. So like watch your young, this is so modern, isn't it? Like my younger sister is married before me. Um, I'm seeing my birth date. And then, and more than once when her father had left it open on the table near her, had she closed it with averted eyes and pushed it away. And then it continues talking about the man who disappointed her, her suitor, who we meet a lot later again to um, William Walter, Elliot Esquire, yes. who wasn't interested. Mm. Um, and But he was no, the heir to the land, but he shunned her, but she can't really get over it. So, you know. Yeah. Book of books. I do love that. And I mean, it again clarifies that, um, that idea that these people worship themselves. Yeah. Like they, they love the idea of who they are and that is their, the religion that they serve and worship, you know? And so this book is a scriptural text and yeah. they themselves are in it. And if they aren't appearing as they want, like it's anathema to them. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think Austin is just skewering this kind of self-worship that she's seeing as like prevalent in yeah. these upper class um, groups right now. So. Yeah. Yeah so interesting and still so relevant yes sad but it's so human um yes, it's I don't very know if human. there's a book of books that anyone who knows maybe maybe there's like some one of your listeners has you know an ancestry book or <laughs> it's you know coveted and perhaps you know you know as much um I'm not sure and maybe not of course not in the same way hopefully right. but it just makes me yeah. think of the Bible. Like it seems, it's such like a biblical sounding phrase, like Song of Songs or, you know, it's the book of books. It's the source of yeah. good living. It's the source of yeah. uh, ethical living. And yeah, 
it's like a registry with names on it. <laughs> and it's like, if you saw it as like the Bible in a sense of that, you know, with your name in it, you know, and like you just return to that page yeah. where your name is the there. Book, like, they read it so much else. that the book falls open to that page, which is hilarious. <laughs> like, this is the only page she cares about, right? Like, and they care about, so they don't care about the other entries, just their entry, which is really, yeah, it's interesting. Yes. Um, so retrenching doesn't work. Spoiler alert. Yes. <laughs> and they decide to quit Kellynch Hall, as they say. Uh, Anne, poor Anne, comes up with a list of how they could stay there. So that's Anne. Like, she's looking for practical ways both to be helpful and to actually make life work. Um, and makes a whole list. And then Sir Walter flips out. And... Every comfort of life knocked off. Journeys, London, servants, horses, table. To live no longer with the decencies, even of a private gentleman, let alone a baronet. He would sooner quit Kellynch Hall at once than remain in it on such disgraceful terms. I think this is great. This is so good. This is just like telling someone, um, yeah, that they have to like cut back on their lifestyle. And like, no, I would just rather like leave than have to do that. It's so, so dramatic and so much fun. And I think even as it goes on further, <laughs> when Mr. Shepard gets involved and you haven't <laughs> talked about him yet, but when he's the says, lawyer, just, <laughs> the lawyer, I loved it because he says, um, Sir Walter had at first thought more of London, but Mr. Shepard felt that he could not be trusted in London. <laughs> and I, I put like, ha, like in the margin. I thought that was just the funniest line of this whole thing because they're true. He's so true. <laughs> and all his money. <laughs> so there. true. And like, you, he's another enabler. Like you were interested in pointing out yeah. the enablers, you know? Oh, yeah. And he... Uh, and this was one that I was like, oh my gosh, Jane Austen is just, sometimes she's just so sharp in her wit where Mr. Shepard is saying like, oh yeah, I, I just can't envision you uh, living in Kellynch because you wouldn't be able to uh, alter your dignity enough to live in like a style that you can actually, you know, stay within your income. But he, he says the house had such a character of hospitality and ancient dignity to support. Um, and I thought how ironic that was coming after their manner of retrenching, which was yes. like cutting off hospitality, like cutting off like the drawing room, cutting off charities. Like it just, um, that was their first inclination. And you yes. just, so, okay. I guess a little background is probably useful here. Jane Austen lived in a society as and Jessica knows this, um, where mm. there was like the wealthy families in the area. And usually one family was like, uh, the landlord or, um, uh, like a major figure in that area. And part of the, their social role was 
to um, help the poor in their area, to um, have their house open to a lot of visitors, to um, support like local businesses, to keep their like little village um, going strong. Some landowners like Lady Catherine de Berg in Pride and Prejudice even would like adjudicate amongst villagers who were having conflicts. Um, and this system in varying forms went all the way back to the middle ages. Like this had been around for a while with some changes and some social changes. And so this is all in the background too, where Sir Walter is supposed to be this like leading pillar of the community. And Jane Austen really believed in this. She really um, thought that like, if you had money, you needed to be like this. And and that's what like Mr. Darcy is known for. Like when she visits, when Elizabeth visits Pemberley, everybody talks about, oh, he's the most generous. He's the most um, open-handed with his people. He's the best like master, blah, blah, blah. And we see how Sir Walter is not only like failing to live within his income, but he's failing in his ethical obligations as a leading figure in society. And that's, so that's hinted at here. And Mr. Shepard knows, (laughs) but he's like sucking up to Sir Walter. (laughs) Anyways, little background. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. He's, such a suck up to him. And and as is Lady Russell. So they're both enablers in separate ways, I think. Um, as you said, Grace, it's just, yeah, it's really interesting the ways that they try to get him to agree, at least with Mr. Shepard, <laughs> to get him to actually, you know, let the property to a naval officer and that's so much fun how he convinces him that (laughs) he's found the perfect tenant for the place if that's (laughs) the correct term who has a wife but no children the best for preserving furniture (laughs) that's right that was so great um also the uh immortal line of uh Sir Walter says, I am not fond of the idea of my shrubberies being always approachable. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Yes. And poor Mr. <laughs> Shepherd, who is not actually, I don't feel bad for him because he's done this to no. himself, but he yeah. has, there's a short pause and he's like, well, uh, basically, uh, we'll have a contract for these kinds of things. Yes. <laughs> He's like, that's fine. We'll we'll figure it out. Well, you know, don't, you don't worry about that. the shrubberies yeah. right now. No, their approachability. <laughs> yes. And is it the is it the garden of Elizabeth too that he's like you, you need to be more careful yes. about that? Yes. Okay. On yes. her guard with yes. respect to her On flower her garden. garden. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's it's a lot. Yes. But that they end up going, and I think this. Um, sends us back to which location of the three they say they have those three options of what to do and it's to go into a different house in their same area or to go you know in the country yeah London or Bath and of course Anne doesn't want to go to Bath and yet that's the place that 
they go. Yes. Um, and it's chosen and, for her. Even Lady Russell is like, yeah, you just don't know your own feelings, basically. Totally right. And ignoring her. And that's foreshadowing, isn't it? Because it kind of brings up, as I was reading this again for the first time in a really long time this time, there were so many wonderful, I think, links to what happens next that are so subtly done. Because you're like, what happened to Anne? They say here, you know, she writes that she had a bad experience in Bath after her mother passed. She went away. And so it's this whole, but she doesn't go into detail. So you're kind of wondering, like, what's going on? And also, I think what's really fascinating about Austin as a writer, at least here, is that you're not quite sure who the main character is yes. yet. You know, totally. and it's a buried. Yes. Um, Which is super in interesting because it, chapters. like, reflects how she's writing and talking about. Yeah. And, like, where we are almost, like, one of the Elliots, where it's like, where's Anne? Yeah. No one knows. Like, we don't know yeah. what her importance is as readers yet. Which is yes. so fascinating and weird. Yeah. It's a lot different than I think other texts that you read where you know like oh this is who we're following um and who we're rooting for I think as you mentioned earlier Grace with the narrator and Austin coming in and saying you know Anne is very smart and they don't listen to her and they should and then championing Lady Russell a little bit like Lady Russell sees you know what one should see and Anne except for she has prejudice Mm-hmm. towards the sign, you know, the side of ancestry. So we start to see that. And I think that critique of her gets a little bit sharper mm-hmm. once we find out what she has. Yes. And we um, have these really cool little language things that that Austin does with Lady Russell yeah. where um, they're ta- when they're discussing bath and... Um, yes. And Lady Russell, it says, it's, this is in, uh, the first sentence in a paragraph. Um, and uh, it says, Lady Russell felt obliged to oppose her dear Anne's known wishes, which known wishes is kind of a weird phrase. Um, yeah. But then I think there's a, a play on it later where the next paragraph down, what the sentence ends with is Mm. Lady Russell um, wanted her to be more known. And so it's this very strange, um, it just shows that even amongst the people who supposedly appreciate her the most, like there's this um, actual lack of, of appreciation and of, of knowledge even where this, this play on, what does it mean to know somebody and to like ignore yeah. something while knowing them? Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like, I feel like there's yeah. a lot going on there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And also when you brought my attention, I have that those same lines un, uh, underlined. And I think there's ambition there that kind yes. of, that does parallel, um, the ambition for Elizabeth, right? Yes. And the ambition, yes. Sir Walter has ambition for is a good word, yeah. So, but then it's actually and, that ambition is actually an impediment to the kind of real, like, intimate knowledge that Anne doesn't mm-hmm. have, in, you know, in her life. Like, that people don't know her as Lady Russell knows. Uh, 
absolutely. And it, it seems like a mirroring. So going mm-hmm. back to the mirror effect that you brought up, it's also Lady Russell, like mirroring what her, what she wants Anne to be yes. Yes. in this society that she, yes. you know, has subscribed to. Yes. Which is like a mini Lady Russell. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoying bath. Yeah, absolutely. Like bath is great. Like, That's right. You're going to be more known. Yeah. Bath is great. You'll marry somebody there who's like gentry rank whatever and it'll be good yeah and at the same time you know we find you know what will happen and what has happened in the past and how this kind of start to come together yeah in interesting ways in the country home I thought it was great just to kind of (laughs) right under where you just read Grace, so that next paragraph at the end. Mm-hmm. And I think this is so wonderful because it's true. Like, let's say you have a big house and you have to downsize and live in a smaller house in your like small country hometown. But he <laughs> he wouldn't have, like Sir Walter would not have the ability or the will <laughs> to not only quit his home, but to see it in the hands of others, a trial of fortitude, which stronger heads than Sir Walter's have found too much. And then Cullen Tall was to be let. This, however, was a profound secret. So I think, yeah, it just, again, felt something that's so relatable, but to see, you know, this house that he's, I mean, again, like the entry in the book of books, on the first page is Elliot and it has of Kellynch Hall. So yes. it is this, that physical setting, right? And that, as you were mentioning earlier, is associated with him being the landlord. Like this is his property, which grants him this sort of title. Yes. Yes. It reflects they're all combined together. And that if he has to leave that part of his identity, which he so yes. values. So again, we have the, actually this thing of enabling, right? Yes. Where Kellynch Hall has enabled him to be yes. Sir Walter Elliot yes. instead of him like making Kellynch Hall into the yes. seat of hospitality and charity yes. and uh, that uh, like an ideal country home should be, yes. right? That's really funny. That's really interesting. Yes. Yes. And in that paragraph below then, my favorite quote of this section, which I posted on Instagram <laughs> for those who have seen it, which is um, how quick come the reasons for approving what we like. Yeah. And here again, Jane Austen's um, signature wit actually goes beyond like puncturing her characters into talking directly to us. Yes. In yes. such a relevant way. Um, yes. Like that's so, I mean, all you have to do is look at, um, for example, where people watch their news, where it's yes. like you look for reasons to support your worldview, whatever that is. And, mm-hmm. um, and they come quicker and easier because you've already like yes. pre-approved it, you know? And I, so it, it's so timely. Um, and yes. the news is just one example. I think it's in our personal lives on a daily level where we want things to fit the narratives that we've constructed. And so I just thought that that was um, such a profound like statement on like human motivation that Jane Austen has here. 
Absolutely. And it's, you know, with the news that you mentioned now, those people who are designing like say YouTube, like they have the algorithm is that algorithm. (laughs) You watch a video and then it shows you something based on the video you watch. So if it's like a news story or something, it's going to show you similar things and it's going to be an endless loop of, even if you say want, like weren't aware and you wanted to like view different viewpoints, you couldn't because if you're just on you're being suggested through this algorithm because as Austin wrote, and as you pointed out, how quick come the reasons for proving what we like. So we just want to keep, you know, and so the psychologists who have programmed these algorithms have followed that so that people be happy and stay on the, you know, streaming service longer or whatnot. Absolutely. (laughs) No, and it's so crazy to just see her capture such an essential element of human nature that we have even today and an impediment to really, um, again, like Lady Russell as somebody who means well, intends well, but has like a self-knowledge problem, um, a blindness problem and how this is really wrapped up in that. Yes. And then we have Mrs. Clay. Who is under who understood the art of pleasing? Yikes. Not a compliment in Jane Austen's yes. parlance. Not at all. No. Who Lady Russell wants to get removed from Elizabeth. Yes. But Elizabeth doesn't listen to her. No. Oh. no. She's a dangerous companion. Yes. <laughs> As Lady Russell fears that uh, Miss Clay is going to um, seduce Sir Walter and yes. uh, the estate will end up in her claws. So, yes, Mrs. Clay, there she is. There's really not much more to her than the art of pleasing as we will see more and more. Yes, Absolutely. Although it is funny, as you mentioned at the opening, her um, her response to Sir Walter with the naval men. Yes. And I think that was pretty great. <laughs> yes. Um, where is... Oh, yes. But note that she carefully seasons her, like, caution yes. with yes. some heavy-handed flattery. They would yes. look around them, no doubt, and bless their good fortune. Yes. <laughs> That's what she's referring to being at Kellynch Hall. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, yes. Oh, and I like, too, how there's some interplay. So her father, so Mr. Shepherd, comes in and Anne is, is helping him out and agreeing. He's like, oh, yes, very true, as he continues to try to promote his own agenda yes. to Sir Walter and he finds pushback, right? Yes. Um, and the obscure verse, I thought that was really interesting. Yes, this is in two points offensive to me. I have two strong grounds of objection to it. First is being the means of bringing persons of obscure birth into undue distinction. And that's a huge point, right? Yes, of, the, demo- the, the like dem- democracy feel of the Navy where it it's a leveler. Yeah of people who don't have high rank 
because it really bothers Sir Walter that he has to like bow to an admiral. <laughs> yes. He wants to be the person yes. bowed to instead of being the person yeah. bowing. Yes, absolutely. And he, yeah, he doesn't want anyone else to come into his circle if they don't have ancestral wealth, right? Like that's, they're self-made and he doesn't have to do a thing. Like you were saying, um, he's not, he doesn't provide hospitality. He, he is enabled by his inheritance and he can't see outside of it in himself. And so of course these figures who are actually doing work for the country are seen, you know, in his view as less than and, that's, I think, the hypocrisy there is something that she's calling attention to, Jane Austen, that is. Yes. And it's so Sir Walter. I mean, that earlier place where we were yeah. looking, like, very early, like, the second page, where yeah. um, Sir Walter was admiring himself, and he's, like, yes. basically, in myself, the baronetage, uh, or a baronetcy and beauty has been combined, you know? And so the Navy, his two reasons are the exact opposite for not liking the Navy because they're not him, right? Right. So one is the beauty aspect where he has this theory that Navy men get all like weather beaten and gross. (laughs) And, um, and then the other is what you were saying, this uh, leveling power of Navy. Which, by the way, this is something I find really interesting because um, the Navy, as as will continue to be a theme throughout yeah. this book, is so is held in such high esteem by Jane Austen. And she actually had a lot of family members in the Navy, um, okay. as I learned when I read uh, a biography of her recently. But um, the Navy at that time was like not that much elevated above pirates. Like they gained their wealth by taking enemy ships and then keeping like anything on the enemy ships, you know, which is basically what a pirate does except like official or like government sanctioned. And so I just find that I don't really have anything more to say about that, but I find that to be super weird that like mannerly Jane Austen would be like the Navy. I don't know. Yes. That's fascinating. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, Something I've always about wondered about. Hmm. And I didn't know that really about the Navy um, during this time either. I mean, that was yeah, why the Navy leveled is because they, you know, you could be like Captain Wentworth, who we will meet, yes. who didn't have money, but came from a gentleman's family, but didn't have yes. money. So it didn't really matter to Sir Walter or Lady Russell. Right. And, um, took enough ships saw enough action that he made his fortune right. um so anyways something to yes. think about I guess that is but, yeah that's really interesting yeah huh. um and speaking of we get a glimpse of him through yes. Mr. Wentworth the curate his brother yes who is not a gentleman decidedly um yes Sir Walter doesn't remember him because no. he says, you misled me by the term gentleman. I thought you were speaking of some man of property. Yes. And like Anne, Mr. Wentworth is a nobody. Yes. Right. And that's too, like a little bit of this 
foreshadowing as before we get into chapter four, um, she says she's knowledgeable of this person. She remembers, obviously. And there's this line, of course, a few months more and he perhaps may be walking here. And you don't know why she cares or why that matters. It's honestly, I think, a bit puzzling, especially as a first-time reader. Yes. When you're reading through this section to kind of keep track of of this because you're like, wait, what? Who? Mm-hmm. Because it comes just out of like the blue. We're talking about the um, the renter, and then we get to this character, and you go, hmm. "Why? Why is there so much attention here?" And yes. especially since we haven't talks. heard Anne talk all that much. That's right. So the fact that I think she speaks, she's speaking to herself there. She yes. uh, speaks when she mentions Mr. Wentworth after silence and a long moment. Right. right after waiting another moment. Ooh, in a very awkward, she, um, and then the first time she speaks, the first time we ever hear Anne is when she defends the Navy, the Navy's right to yes. having um, a comfortable home. So yes. very telling, yes. very, very foreshadowy there. Yes. Um, that that's the first time we hear Anne speak decisively into yes. space. Yes. And that will set us up for what's to come, I think, pretty well. Yes. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Well, I think we covered it pretty well. Yeah. The first session so of the Summer Old Book Club, chapters okay. one through three. Yes. Thank you so, so much, much for better. joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for the rest of your chats and to watch them and listen to them. I really am excited too. And uh, next week, we'll just be doing the next three chapters. Um, and my wonderful brother is going to be my conversation partner this time. Super excited. Um, but, uh, for any of you listening or watching who have questions, um, I would love to get them and I can, we can keep discussing them. So if you have questions or if you want to see a particular scene discussed, Definitely send them um, either by commenting on the material or by sending them to oldbookswithgrace at gmail.com. And I would be happy to bring them up in any future conversations. So, yes. But thanks again, Jessica, for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yay. Thanks for listening in, guys. <laughs>